after the round, they both realized that they were very much wrong. And we're live, or actually recording at this time. So welcome, guys. We've got another episode of Enter the Matrix, this time continuing the road to WTC, but we can call it road after the WTC at this point, because we've got with myself, John Lennon and Pumba, respectively, from Team USA in Poland, where, from what I gather, you guys were responsible to some extent for the pairings within the team. You were like part of the pairing team in both of your teams. So what we are trying to do in this episode is to get into that one. I still get an echo, I think, from Pumba. Uh, and but anyway, what I was saying is that I will still try to find uh, and explain how the round between USA and Poland has gone because that one was, I think, the most tense round I've had to survive and endure throughout the whole tournament. And I think this is very interesting to see because out of all the matchups, I think this was one of those where it wasn't a case of both teams being very confident about matchups. And like both teams were quite close on it, weren't feeling like they will win by a huge margin. They were feeling more about the drawish matchup, even losing matchup, rather than being cocky when you end up at WTC with both teams being very satisfied with their pairing process. And then they both know that one of them will find out that they were wrong. So uh, now I've done my introduction. Uh, how are you doing, John? I am fantastic. Uh, really good to be on the show here. It's a nice Monday morning here, and I'm very awake. Good to hear. <laughs> Pumba, are you awake after a day of work or not very much? Yeah, so? I'm, I'm good, but I'm actually like midday at my work currently because my work schedule right now is pretty hectic. But okay. overall, pretty good. So without further ado, how we'll do it is like in previous episodes when we were discussing pairings, we'll not give both teams to try and discuss every step of the pairings, I want to show one point of view and then the other point of view. And afterwards, we'll discuss what was the difference you guys can get into the conversation. Obviously, you can give some insights, you can give some comments, but like I do not want to get into very in-depth conversation about this one specific estimation because I find it pointless at this point and it can impact the further explanation of the pairing. So uh, with that in mind, John, I'll take you first for an explanation. I, For those listening on podcast feeds, I've just shared on my screen the estimations of Team USA. So if you are listening on podcasts and want to see how all of it looks, please go to the YouTube video because um, there is no way we're going to go through all of it and remember. Uh, but now seeing it, John, what was your approach to doing that? estimations like can you get us a little bit involved into the tables how, how they work what's your estimation policy how do you do this yeah so um our policy going in so the 
just to kind of start off on um, the pairings team for USA was myself as well as Sean Naden and Eric Forsman. So um, even though I'm the only one on the show, I can't take full credit for all of the uh, victories and mistakes that we made in pairings. Um, but uh, our process going in, uh, going into the event was to lead with a defender custodies. But our general thought process in the USA is usually to take the first two rounds, the first two sets of defenders, and try to keep it even or small advantage. We're not going for huge wins in the opening, and we try to get a favorable scrum out of it. That's normally what we go for. Um, that's certainly what we prefer to do. Uh, we usually feel confident that we can use our armies, our knowledge of pairings, our players, etc., to mitigate the heavy hitters of the opponent team. So anytime early on in the pairings, we have a chance to pull out whoever we perceive to be a heavy hitter, be that um, you know their Eldar player or the player that we know to be their best, depending on the round and the team we're facing. Uh, we may do that just for a chance to really soften up the scrum, so that we can basically so we can feast in the scrum is a lot of our philosophy. So um, by scrum, you mean the last four pairings in eight. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. In an eight-man pairings, the, the third defender and then the refusal and the forgotten, all of that combined, we refer to as the scrum. Um, okay. So we can just do first defender, second defender, scrum is how we think about the different stages of pairings. Fair. And when you look at your estimations, you guys have something different compared to, for example, what I've seen in Netherlands, US, England, or Poland. You have some kind of average scores marked for armies. This is, I assume, some way of you guys, when looking at a given pairing and a given team, a way of measuring how effective given army is and how much you can prey on it or how bad you can bust one of your armies, something like that, just another metric. Exactly. So it's we try to keep as many you know metrics in there as possible just to give us more information. Um, a big part of our philosophy on Team USA as well is that all eight members are should be willing to be a sacrifice at any point in time. Doesn't matter if we think they're one of our best players, if we think they're on one of our best armies, if we if the pairings team thinks that the situation calls for it, they should be ready to step into a bad matchup and accept it. And sometimes, you know, for example, let's say we're trying to mitigate an Eldar player and we're looking at, well, we can try to beat this Eldar player or we can try to take a little bit less damage. And so we will take into account how someone is going to do into the rest of the team before we offer them up as a sacrifice. Um, in Team USA, we call this um, policy taking out the trash, where if someone is bad into a team or in a round or in a mission, we will intentionally toss them to the wolves if we think that it, we can use it to our advantage later on. So if someone has a very bad average score, we will happily make that person play the Eldar rather than someone who has a good average score. Makes sense. Um, in in this case, you guys have very similar color coding to what we've done in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. So you guys used like the tiers or like breaks of essentially five points, four or five points, where you have the drawage matchups between eight and twelve, small like guaranteed wins, but like ten plus wins, and those higher wins which are like 13, 14 plus, mm -hmm. and then also losses, those two free. To eight points and losses like huge losses at best getting a five and also you include roll-offs or like swingy matchups so say for example sometimes i don't know elder mirror can be very role dependent as we can see on your estimation table here 
So this is very similar to what was done previously and from Anthony said and what I can see you guys even included Buya in your colors or it's just Anthony joking what well, yeah I was okay. I was about to say this um, color coding or especially the comments near them uh, seem very mm, yeah I recognize those <laughs> yes uh, we did in fact uh, I I'm pretty sure Anthony got it from you all during Alpine Cup I want to say yeah um, but yeah, Anthony brought over this system to replace the old one um, uh, because we thought that color coding would make it easier for some of our uh, prospect team when we were doing our um, our uh, team selection earlier on in pairing because we had a lot of uh, players who weren't used to playing team format and we kind of had to onboard mm -hmm. them. And he thought that going to colors would be easier than numbers. Um, I'm a math guy. I prefer numbers. Um, but uh, the color process works fine. So I just pick my number and then go pick the color that corresponds to it. Fair. Uh, okay, so now anything specific before we get into the pairing process? Anything you guys saw here looking at the table? Because from the side, knowing that the this pair, not purple, like pink color usually means that this is a drawish matchup. This table looks like you have few wins, but few very bad losses. And a lot of draws. Like my brain trying to, it looks very even in terms of distribution of wins and losses. But there is one problem that most of your wins are against one army. So this usually indicates a quite heavy problem during pairings, because suddenly after that army is gone, you suddenly do not have many yeah. other point point like armies to get points against. So anything you saw. Um... There's there's a couple kind of um, things to consider with this matrix. We definitely um, looked at this as a very uh, negative matrix for us. Um, we tend to be a little bit conservative in our predictions. Um, but then also um, we acknowledged that uh, we thought that uh, Poland was the team that matched up the most uh, difficult for us. Um, we Going into the event, we thought that you know this, this was our, our worst matrix, basically. Um, the one thing I'll say about that giant line of purple uh, next to your Dark Angels is that I think a lot of our guys didn't know what to make of it, uh, unfortunately. And that purple was them saying, I don't really know how it's going to go. Um, it might be a draw, it might not be. It might be a win, it might not be, um, which is unfortunately not very good data. Um, so we knew that in the pairing process that the column of purple for the Dark Angels was a little shakier than a literal everyone's going to draw it. Uh, I knew that some people would be over that, some people would be under that, and I didn't know which was which. Um, yeah, and this is a great example of even one of the best teams in the world will have no clue what a certain army does, because you do not have time to get into that one niche army that has been brought by only one team. You just do not have resources to play test into it, especially when you don't know which mission you'll play and. If you do not have a dedicated player that can learn that army, they will not also play that army to a good enough level to give you worthwhile testing. So sometimes it might be even better to not play that matchup, to not give you a bad idea of how to play. But having that in mind, what was your idea with doing the first round of pairings or anything else you might want to add? Um, uh, the one other thing that I'll add is that uh, I'll comment specifically on my numbers, which is that um, going into WTC, we had initially planned on a world where I was going to be the first defender very often out the gates. Um, 
And so a lot of my colors were representative of what is your score if you get to choose the table. I'm not confident of that green into Elvar on every table, but I was confident in it if I chose the table early. With that said, um, we ended up changing our process um, about halfway through the tournament anyways, and I became a uh, more of a scrum player than I became, uh, and I wasn't first defending anymore into quite a lot of teams. But going into the event, Poland was actually the only team that we had um, already decided I would not first defend into because you had two unique matchups that I did not want. And uh, therefore, we were kind of looking for what our first defender would be and feeling that out uh, for the rest of the tournament as we prepared for the uh, out-of-bracket rounds. Okay. I actually uh, have, a, have, a, have a small question here. Does this particular exact table represent a mission that we are play, going to play? No, it does Already. not. Uh, okay. We made this pairings table irrespective of the, um, the rounds because we didn't know. Um, and then, you know, basically for the second game of the day where you don't know the round, we didn't do it. Um, for the ones where we knew the round, we would go in and update the table. For this one, we talked a little bit about what the mission was and um, kind of what the dynamic of it was in our little lunch meeting. And then we basically just told our players, hey, this is the mission. This is how it works. Be aware that this is kind of how it's going to be feel different from a normal mission. If you think that changes any of your matchups, look through it real quick. Let us know. Put the change in. But we didn't fill this out initially with the understanding of this is the um, the round that we're going to play them in. So there are some changes that reflect the mission that were that is played. I assume. Yeah. So I think a couple people put in a few changes um, as they saw appropriate. Um, I didn't end up making any changes because I consider the mission to be relatively positive for custodies. So um, I figured I'd take the upside where I got it, but it didn't make any of my matchups worse. Um, but at least one of our matchups uh, got a lot worse because of this mission, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the uh, in the pairing process. Okay, so you guys defended with orcs, from what I recall, mm -hmm. and Poland defended with Necrons as they did nearly the whole event. It's and uh, they rolled the same number each time on the D8. Uh, and uh, in this case, what was your reasoning be behind the Oryx round one? Um, we were looking for someone who we could defend with and wasn't very important at a particular stage of the, uh, of the round, but then also that person could get us guaranteed some value. And we went with uh, Lucas's Orcs because even though he has two reds, he has no orange matchups. And you don't want to get your defender into something that is both not good for them and could spiral and also isn't something that's scary to the rest of the team. That's the worst case scenario. So we looked at it as Lucas has two matchups that we want to avoid. And if they give us those two exact matchups, we'll just take the Eldar because that's a column of red removed and we'll just move on with our lives and no one else has to deal with Eldar. We'll, you know, pat Lucas on the butt, ask him to score as many points as he can and just see if he gets a number between zero and six. We'll find out later. Okay. Uh, and in this case, Poland attacked with Thousand Sons, and what was the other arm in Pumba? Castellis, uh, I believe. Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, Poland defended with Necrons. You guys attacked with, uh, from what I remember, Chaos Space Marines and Grey Knights? It sounds mm -hmm. right, yeah. 
And what's the reasoning behind that? So the reasoning for Chaos Space Marines and Grey Knights um, is that both of our players there were very comfortable with the archetype of Necrons being played, and they were both very confident that they could put, um, put very respectable scores into it. Um, Anthony thought that into Necrons, this mission would be totally fine. There's less places for the Necron players to camp and get points. That gives the Chaos Space Marines more opportunity to concentrate their massive damage output on one exact spot. And Anthony was confident that if he went into the Necrons, he'd be able to kill his way through it. Um, Jack, meanwhile, had played the Necrons game and was uh, likewise very confident that uh, he would be able to uh, get a, a solid win into this, uh, to this specific Necron build. And same thing, uh, Jack has very few units, so he also thought that this mission would be more favorable than normal for him, and uh, because he has to put his stuff in less spots. So both of our players there thought that they could hit Necrons with, you know, either the right amount of board control or the right amount of damage dealing to win the primary objectives and get very solid scores here. Plus, those were two um, armies, and this is definitely something to take into account, two armies that weren't super valuable for us down the line. Like, yes, we could try to put our Eldar in, and, you know, Eldar into Necrons is sometimes weird, but it usually works out unless dice get really crazy. Yeah. This was, um, like, the only winning pairing for Anthony, and this was the only winning pairing for Jack as well. Yeah, which yeah. Makes so that's... We, we see it as an opportunity to get one of those two players out of the way into what was their best matchup of the eight. Let's get one of those two out let them cook, see how they do, and we'll work on the rest of it. And you took T-Sons, which makes sense according to your table, because you thought you guys Absolutely. were winning this matchup. We very likely would have accepted the Thousand Sons almost no matter what was offered, but the fact that it was Custodes made it clear as day to us. Custodes was the hard, we will refuse Custodes no matter what. There was mm -hmm. nothing you could do short of a four-digit bribe that would have gotten us to play the Custodes. Fair. And uh, then Poland doesn't have Tissons anymore. You guys do not have mm -hmm. uh, Orcs. And now moving forward, uh, let me quickly visualize it better. Now it, it will look probably like you guys lost a lot of good matchups at the same time, but you also cleared yourself out of a lot of not yeah. that great of the matchups. And bluntly, we got what we thought to be a very positive matchup into the Necrons, so that's about as good as it could have gone, especially for an army that did not have a lot of other positive matchups. Okay. Then in round two, we'll not get into tables. I assume Lucas took more dense table, yeah. our Necrons probably took more shooty table, just guessing, but let's not get into it, that's too much information, I think, at this point. I agree. Unless a specific matchup was meant to have very specific table, then you might talk about yeah. it, but I don't... But in this case, Poland defended with Custodies, and you guys defended with Deathwatch. Talk me through this. Yes. Choice. So Deathwatch had turned into one of our, um, you know, defenders because uh, we... The Death Watch wasn't performing as well as we had wanted, um, which is no shade on the player, just kind of the way it all worked out. Death Watch wasn't getting great matchups. We also decided that um, 
the custodies didn't really need table choice unless they were going to take the Eldar. And in our experience, the custodies weren't going to get offered Eldar if they were an initial defender. And I was able to play on basically any other table as long as I wasn't into specifically Wraith Knights. That's the only time I needed to choose a table. So we kind of were accepting that I was no longer really going to be a defender, um, which was part of our initial plan. And uh, we found that the table choice was helping the Death Watch to get some points. So we decided, let's defend with Death Watch here. Um, same thing, there are two reds. We'd love to avoid the reds if possible, but if they give us both reds, um, getting the Eldar out of the way, again, would just be a clean solution where, you know, yeah, we know it's not going to go great for our Death Watch, but if we get Eldar out of the way before the scrum has begun, we'll probably just call that a day. Yeah, fair. And then F-Watch was attacked with Tau, Poland, and the other army, I think, was Guard. Pumba, correct me. I believe so, yes. It only that, makes sense that that matchup that is horrible for Bethel. <laughs> and uh, then you guys, uh, we defended with Custodies, and you guys attacked with Custodies and Nits. So walk me a little bit through your vision of the mirror and Sean's build into Custodies. What was the Absolutely. decision so, here? I'll start with Sean. Sean was the obvious one. As soon as we see Custodies, we put Nits down, no questions asked. And we, we considered the second army later, but the, the Nids were automatic there as far as we were concerned. Um, that's because Sean's uh, Tiernid list was designed with several things in mind, because we don't like armies that are a sole purpose counter. Um, when, if they counter one thing, they'll never get it. Um, but we ended up making a Tiernid list that we, Sean gets most of the credit here, um, made a Tiernid list that we felt was very positive into Custodes because of specifically the Karn effects with Deathspitters. Um, they're long enough range that they can shoot from outside of the um, the threat range. And then with Old One-Eye, they have sustained hits and rerolls to hit. And you end up with a bucket of strength 7 AP 2 damage one-shots, which happens to be an extremely efficient profile for killing Custodians. Pair that behind a, you know, a minus one damage monster mash with terrain effects, high saves all around. And um, Sean had gone into Custodies several times across the tournament and won every single time. That part was guaranteed. <clears throat> from there, we were really looking at what we could put in that we wouldn't feel like we were losing out too much on. Um, Anthony didn't really want Custodes on their table choice. Um, Eldar didn't really want it on their table choice. Um, you know, Lucas obviously wasn't going to get it. Jaime was out. And we thought that it was a little bit of a waste of Gene Slur Cult to put them in there. And so looking at what each player had remaining and, um, you know, kind of based on our own confidence, I was... Uh, I basically put the promise down that I would not lose the mirror. Um, I've played the mirror a couple times with Custodes. Uh, I have won it to various degrees every time. So I just kind of put a promise down. I said, I'm just going to put myself in. I'll bet on myself. Um, they'll probably take me if they've done the homework on the nids. And I'll make sure that we don't throw away something into a Custodes table choice. And I'll get, I'll get us positive on it. Okay. And then... Uh, I think the choice between Tau and Guard was quite obvious. Guard, I think Very. we did me not... getting more than zero points would be a good score. Yeah, we uh we were a little conservative on our matrix with Tau because uh we hadn't gotten a lot of reps into it bluntly, but we knew that guards should beat up Death Watch quite thoroughly, and we were not interested in throwing Skark at 20 for free. 
makes perfect sense. So then we get into what you call a scrum. Poland defended with guard in that step, and you guys defended with nits. Run me through this decision, because that, this is certainly dictated by what you see here from the remaining four mm -hmm. arms. Um, yeah, so we we were kind of looking through what was left for both sides here, and picking that scrum defender is always so difficult, but we thought that Anthony, so Anthony and Sean were the two people who had reds, and those are things we want to hard avoid. And if we, we could try to save Anthony by defending him, but there's a chance if things go wrong that Anthony catches the red anyways. So we didn't want to waste our defender slot on a chance of catching a red even, you know, no matter what. So we decided to use our defender slot on Sean to guarantee that we do not have to um, uh, take another red. Because going into the scrum, or, you know, our goal is to win the scrum. We've, we feel fine about how everything has gone up to this point, but we don't feel massively confident up to this point. Just good. Um, and so we, our logic was when there's you know, a couple reds in the scrum, it's fairly likely we're going to take one. If we can avoid it, we will, but it's certainly possible. So at that point, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we don't ever take two reds. Because uh, if you take two reds in the scrum, then we're not winning the scrum anymore. And that goes against our uh, our philosophy. So yeah. defend with Sean, guarantee that there's only one red on the table. We'll try to avoid it if we can. And if we can't, so be it. Um, but we thought that that was the best play. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to dodge that one bad matchup. And this way, you guys saw guard as defender. What what was your reaction? Probably you were relieved that you didn't defend with Anthony then. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I, I assumed it was guard coming. Um, because I look, I usually look through their side as well, just to kind of make sure there's no unforeseen defender that can screw us over. Because we, oh, they would never do that, but then they do. Um, so we weren't, we weren't at all surprised when guard got flipped. Um, we thought it made sense. Uh, we still were looking at um. You know, we didn't really want to uh, put Shuckman into guard, even though we thought Eldar could beat guard. We also didn't want to risk it, if it makes sense. Because if yeah. we thought that one, once we see guard is down, we know Nids are going to get something. Someone is going to get forgotten. And if we leave, our logic was that if we um, left, uh, like, you know, Anthony as the forgotten, Decent odds he falls into either Eldar or GSE. Terrible. Okay, well, I I'm pretty sure, right, that we attacked uh, the uh, the guard with um, CSM. GSE and CSE. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, our, our logic was let's throw Anthony in just in case they take it. Let's throw GSE in. Either way, these are armies that have access to lone operative stratagems, which we're, we're well aware that this guard list shoots uh, quite hard. And we figured that having access to a lone op stratagem for both of the armies that we attack in kind of reduces the chance of it going horribly. We know that we can still lose to guard, we can beat guard, but as long as we figured that as long as we put in armies that threaten combat with a lone op unit, we could keep the scoreboard close regardless of how bad it ended up getting. And so mitigating the damage of the guard army was very important to us. Now we have, um, I know we have Shuckman is green here higher than Anthony CSM, but we thought leaving Shuckman for Forgotten had less potential downside than leaving Anthony for Forgotten. Was kind yeah. of our thought process here. Yeah, especially if you looked 
through other games of other teams throughout the event. You could see like Harrison or the Scottish guard actually drawing against Eldar. Yeah. So you know that those matchups could happen. So it makes perfect sense that even though on average you should win against guard, it can go completely wrong just on few rolls. Yep. Yeah, because uh, the Scottish guard player was in fact an American that we lent for the weekend uh, due to an unfortunate sickness on their time. Um, we certainly were getting a guard perspective throughout the event because uh, Ben McJurek, as we were calling him, um, was still in all of our meetings. Um, you know, once we determined after the pod stage that we were unlikely to play Scotland, we kept Ben in all of our meetings, giving us a little bit of guard insight whenever he had time. Fair. So now that all the pairings are done, looking at the estimations, you guys have three draws, one small loss, three wins with one sizable one and one roll-off. So I think like that looks decent. Like you go out with two wins above the average and one roll-off, which is, you know, roll-off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, so, after the entire pairings were done, I apologize, I think I cut you off. No, 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 go on. Okay. After the pairings were done, as a pairings team, we felt better than average. Um, we definitely didn't come out of this thinking, oh man, we just smoked Poland. We we know that not all of the numbers that we have are right. We know that uh, you know the Polish team is going to uh, make us work and bleed for it. But we thought that the pairings had gone relatively well, um, better than we had, uh, better than we had expected. Um, we thought that for the for the numbers and the matrices we had, we thought that we had come out of it relatively well. We had, you know, we knew that the the Eldari coin flip was weird. We knew we didn't really know what was going to happen in the Dark Angel CSM game. Everything else we felt pretty confident about. And we thought that we had mitigated a lot of the potential damage with the lone exception of the Eldari mirror, which we would just kind of see how that went. Yeah. You, there are, you can say that some lists are still favorable and then fade dice happens. So... Yeah. Okay, so now having all of that, let's switch to the Polish side of how they saw this one evolving. Now you'll get to listen to our like Pumbas thinking, Lennon. I'm very, get to... very curious to hear it. Uh, so Pumba, let us run, run us through your thoughts when approaching the matchup and pairings and stuff. Yeah, uh, so... Similarly to USA, we considered Castellis to be our defender most of the time. Um, so that was one of the first assumptions about our team composition. We really felt um, that Castellis on their table choice are unstoppable and they could literally fight every single army in the game. Uh, so that was very valuable. Similarly, our Necrons were also built in mind that um, there was a decision point actually made during the list construction where we were considering a little more uh, offensive build of Necrons that could potentially score higher against uh, certain matchups. However, uh, we decided against that just to secure that second defender slot or another army that could pay potentially play basically everyone. Um, so our main goal in the pairings process most of the time is actually keeping the pins on the armies we want to pin. What I mean by that is keeping um, in your hand, as you call it, as we are using uh, cards, uh, keeping 
in your hand armies that are useful in pinning certain matchups. To give you an example for that, let's look at the CSM from uh, USA and then look at our um, our table uh, our table. Yeah. So in, uh, there you can see we have a bunch of draws, uh, some bad matchups that we estimate, but we have two uh, good matchups into the CSM list in our estimation, right? That would mean if you want, I want to keep CSM at bay and don't allow them to actually defend, I would always try to keep elves and GSC. And that's all, of course, only one of the examples given, but basically that follows the reasoning of what we are doing in the pairings process. So if there's a particular army that we want to keep at bay, we would always keep those certain armies in our hand as long as possible. Uh, of course, you need to always adapt your process when it's happening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some of the key things that we figure out uh, before uh, when designing the team comp, and especially during the tournament, it proved to be amazing, is the fact that uh, enemy custodies could not first defenders uh, defend against us particularly well. Because we have that guard list and because we have those dark angels that have proven to be very deadly to other custodies armies, we knew that this basically is not an option, which is huge because that army, in, my, in our opinion especially, as we discussed previously, benefits a ton from having, um, from having the table choice and can open up uh, pairings immensely. And by opening up pairings, I mean they can grab the worst possible army that uh, is offered, say Eldari, and st still score some points or like even get Eldari to a draw, maybe a win on their table choice, depending on the mission and roles. So that's a huge asset. And we basically designed our team um, to mitigate that, uh, that advantage to, for other teams. Um, I assume you also adjusted table. your estimations to the round plate, right? So yes, this... which is, uh, this is exactly what I would um, want to explain here, is this table is very much considering the missions. Uh, after each single round, we gather in a group to think about every single matchup that we are unsure of um, from the position of many players in the team, like having their perspective on this, uh, especially uh, considering the mission. And um, because this one, which was uh, the name just escapes me right now, but this is the one where the center objective basically vanishes of the planet Earth, right? And so we are playing uh, two objectives in the midboard, uh, scoring five on the midboard, six from your opponents, and two from yours. This kind of explains our Tau table uh, right here. Uh, we really felt, and especially our Tau player felt, that in this particular mission, it's going to be significantly harder for him to score decent primary points. Because Tau are not as, like particularly known for holding objectives well in the midboard. And unless you can do that at least one of them, you're going to struggle a lot. Um, meaning you could probably get your opponent of one of those objectives, sure, uh, attacking the more defensively placed one, for example, near your opponent's deployment zone is going to be particularly hard, which all, uh, oftentimes will um, actually mean you are scoring seven, your opponent is scoring seven from primary and you are scoring usually two, which uh, 
over the course of the game will will mean uh, a massive difference in uh, the final score, regardless of basically what's happening on the table. So unless the Tau can actually, I don't know, table your opponent, it's going to suffer immensely from the primary difference in this particular mission. Uh, so this is why the, the Tau table here is particularly bad in our opinion, because even though uh, most of the time it can fight uh, custodies no problem, for example, or it could be very good against uh, Turnits, it will still struggle on the primary play. And this basically lowers its score significantly. Because for so, those um, listening, watching, this this is because Tau gives out so much bring it down and then opponent can take also homers as second fixed secondary. And they will start the game with 35 points from fixed. So it's very good score from the very start. And then you just... Unless Tau can get those 35 points, every battle round means one more differential score against Tau. So you usually exactly. start the game at like 14-6 Tau. Exactly. Which means the Tau really struggles in this particular mission. So to start the process, we uh, go through our options and our, like our pins. Uh, so our comfortable def first defender, as we discussed, especially in the pod phase, was Custodies. However, uh, this time we've realized after looking at your guys' uh, scores from uh, previous rounds, we have analyzed them uh, very meticulously. And we did realize that your turnings list designed by and piloted by uh, Sean and actually your Grey Knights list can prove to be very difficult matchups for our custodies. Um, there are some tricks in this list. As, you, as you've discussed, the, the Turin's list has a lot of tools to actually deal with custodies. Uh, the Grey Knights can really prove, uh, again, because of the mission, um, can prove to be very difficult because, um, correct me here if I'm wrong, because this is basically coming off our spying, our estimations and our uh, play. But uh, we thought one of the ways uh, Grey Knights could play the matchup is actually deep strike like three inches from the custodies in a straight line, um, literally three inches from them. And anytime a unit will move anywhere in those nine inches, uh, Grey Knight could use a stratagem to either uh, shuffle off or just uh, go into deep strike. Basically meaning custodies can never actually push the board in a reasonable pace actually getting into enemy objectives, which kind of means it's not ideal and it can be very sketchy. Yeah, that's one of the options we have um, because funny enough, it takes custodies a little longer to kill Grey Knights than they want. And custodian mm -hmm. and Grey Knight profiles tend to actually be fine at killing custodies. Um, so it ended up being very awkward. Um, Jack has played the custodies matchup with his Grey Knights many times. Um, since, of course, uh, he and I live in the same town, we played it in person a lot. And then um, we also happened to put him into it at uh, the previous uh, American Team Championships a little bit before to get him some more practice against uh, high-quality Custodes players. Um, it's very hard, in our opinion, for, for Grey Knights to outright win that game. But you also saw that our Custodes was not terribly valuable for us. And so if we can take out a stronger army with a draw with our Grey Knights, who had plenty of pitfalls they had to avoid, we would have accepted that. Call it a 12-8, maybe an 8-12, anywhere in that ballpark is very reasonable. It's very hard for Custodies to push harder than that. 
because um, yeah, if the, if the granites get close, the custodies if they move, they just let the the you know the granites teleport with perfect knowledge. One of the tricks which I'm I know a lot of people didn't initially catch was that you can of course um, use the mist of Dimostrat to go into reserves. You can also then immediately rapid ingress same movement phase. So if someone pushes up on us and we'd move, we then just immediately rapid ingress in just barely out of range of whatever they're going to do and then we rock it right into them and it makes it very hard to play with custodies even if custodies don't die that fast it's a weird one exactly uh, so this was basically our thought as well and because of that we considered even though our um estimation here it was a draw we actually didn't want to get that matchup particularly because we we really knew that can be very sketchy and you need to play that game very uh, like perfectly, and that army is just hard to play, play uh, perfectly against. Uh, it has a lot of tricks in its sleeve, and it might go sideways. So we want to actually avoid that as much as possible. Because of that, we decided against putting uh, Custodes as our first defender. We didn't want to get pinned by Drains and Grey Knights, um, and we opened up with Necrons, which was our like backup choice, which also um, in our heads uh, didn't. We actually didn't need it that bad, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, then you get attacked with Grey Knight and CSM. You already knew about cool. the Grey Knight matchup. Uh, yep. So um, the, the the like the the important stuff here is the Orc Defender. Whereas we did go over a lot of like permutations of what can happen in the pairings, we didn't really consider that uh, orc defender as a first choice, which <laughs> is actually what happened. Um, because of that, we had to do uh, kind of improvise on the spot, and the decision between placing down uh, either Tsons, I mean, custodies are going into those orcs no matter what. Uh, it's just going to happen. It's a it's a very good matchup. You, you take those. Um, the op the the decision is um, what actually goes with the custodies because that's probably going to get accepted. Um, and the decision was uh, either we came down to the the option of either me as Tsons, and I was not comfortable playing that game, and in the sense that I was supposed to lose that. However, as you can see, uh, my pairings uh, or, or my estimations, rather, or seasons were not that great. So it's kind of a sacrifice that you don't want to make, but sure. Um, or we actually considered going with elves here. However, the thing is, getting rid of elves on the first defender step oftentimes means you are going to have a lot of trouble in the scrum as we have discussed because that's a such a such a powerful piece that throwing it here uh, into the orcs especially if our orcs go first in this mission is actually i would never consider this to be a 20 ever uh, or like almost ever right uh, so we decided that i'm gonna basically get bust under the orcs uh, and instead, we keep the elves and try to get them uh, a good pairing and keep them as a very useful tool in the later stages. Yep. 
Okay, yeah. and reasoning between Granite CSM? So the uh, reasoning before the because we kind of have this um, mindset of of pins and unpins, we take Granites mainly because it actually allows our custodies to defend pretty comfortably right now, and this gives us uh, our custodies player is very um, as another like armies fall uh, through the the stages, we realize that uh, unpinning, uh, so to say, the custodies could actually prove to be very valuable as you might have to attack it with something that's very much less comfortable than like granites and turnets, right? So it actually like um, out from all of these armies, I think I would consider all of the matchups to be good on, on custodies playable basically, except from the turnets. Mm -hmm. So that basically the choice between Grey Knights and, and CSM came down to uh, unpinning our custody so they don't ever have to play that matchup. So you sacrificed yourself and then you went for a drawish matchup, giving you not a great start, but yeah. as it usually happens, defenders are not in a great spot. Then the second part, you guys defended with custodies against USA. Uh, Death Watch. Death Watch. So run, run me. You just defaulted to custodies because you unpinned them, or was there something more? Uh, basically, you can see on the tables as well that uh, defending with Tau is way too sketchy here, um, because I really believe that if they get attacked with Eldar GSC on this particular mission, they are going as like score a straight up zero. Uh, and there is no coming back. And I think avoiding that, like actual zero matchup, is crucial. Uh, like getting a straight zero is is just massive. Um, because of that, as as we can see, uh, Custody's matchups are like they are not actually useful as an attacker right now. And as we've discussed, the table choice, in our opinion, actually gives them a lot of play into basically everything, right? So they are. Um, not necessary for us to have in hand at hand uh, against any particular matchup. Yeah, and I can imagine you expected Nitz to be one of the attackers, and you were quite Correct. happy blunting either GC or Eldari, so I expected something else to attack Custodius. Yeah. Um, we actually were happy to with accepting anything um, other than uh, other than Ternitz. However, the fact that you offered the mirror was actually probably the best choice you could have made, right? Because we were really hoping to pin those custodies matchups in the last stages. As we still had those armies, we were hoping that we could get a very nice matchup over there. Yeah, that's, um, I didn't quite mention this in mine, so I'll interject a little bit now. That was something we were considering when choosing the attacker. Not only did I think I could do well into the custodies mirror, or at least guaranteed not you know, give up any high number. I also was looking at, I didn't first defend because there were a couple too many custodies counters in the pool and none of them were getting out of the pool. Yeah. Um, so as exactly. long, you know, the more we get concentrated down to, you know, we start off with, you know, two or three custodies counters and five armies, then it's two or three custodies counters and three armies. As much as the first number shrinks, the less comfortable I am. So this was a good safety valve for me because if you didn't take me, you were taking the Tyrants. And we would be a okay with that. Yep, and that made made perfect sense uh, from your perspective. That was 
actually I was very impressed with that decision. I think like offering a mirror is never easy in so to speak. Uh especially the mirrors can go a little bit sideways. I think this one isn't super volatile actually. I think it always oftentimes falls between those um eight to twelve unless something horrific happens. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the actually, in my opinion, less volatile uh, mirror matches you can get. So that was uh, very well played by you. And in terms of uh, the attacker, I mean, we we just go with guard because we know that that's that's probably a, a free twenty. And then uh, we know that this isn't going to ex get accepted, of course. Yeah. Uh, so this allows our tau to, as you can see, escape from a very bad situation, in our opinion, right? Um, because we, we know that this tau will probably be a problem because of its estimation, um, just getting it into a death watch allows it to play for a draw instead of getting probably shafted. And with the possibility, because I really believe that those two reds are like straight up zeros every single time. Okay, so both teams dodging bad matchups. Uh, exactly. And we get to the bottom four with you guys not having both of those armies and Deathwatch and Custodies being gone as well. So now getting into the last four. Yep. Hello. <laughs> Pumbaa's cat is interrupting us. He always does this. Every time I record everything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> uh, next up, because uh, we realize the custodies are gone, right? Uh, this basically means that our pin of guard and dark angels is not really useful anymore. Um, we can also see that from our estimation, GSC basically set to smash, which is very comfortable for them. Uh, so there's a, for us, there's a clear, um, choice between defending with guard and defending with dark angels guard even though it has a lot of um bad matchups we actually think that as you said previously that attacking guard on even though it's super heavy in artillery attacking her a board can make a choice especially when playing against i don't know wraith knights right um so that guard with table choice um, is actually not very comfortable to be attacked with uh, Eldar. So actually, we can we can kind of trust that uh, if we place down guard, as it's uh, no longer useful to us, it's not pinning anything particular in particular. We can uh, place it down, uh, probably get GSC uh, during its CSM, basically anything else. Uh, I think even if we take Eldar here, that like if, if we got offered Eldar here, I think I would have taken it um, because that's such a like huge um, swing to have in your matrices that I don't think anybody would be comfortable to to actually play that matchup as an Eldar player on on guard's table. Uh, we realize we also realize Gar uh, Skark is very prepared into GSC. He has played them uh, a ton. Mm, I don't think by now he has played any at the actual event, but I might be incorrect here. Uh, yeah, but I know that. 
he had not yet because we were we were looking yeah. for that exactly but i uh, we knew that skark is very prepared against uh, gsc he has played that matchup at tom his list is very much prepared for that matchup and it's like in more ways that you can imagine and even though he has that as a as a uh, orange here we knew that this is basically um considering perfect play by any opponent right and there's a lot of tricks that list actually has to deal with uh, gsc more than you can imagine so we defend with guard because of that uh and you have defended with uh nets right yes yeah so nets um what to offer uh nets is a pretty straight up option uh, uh straight up uh, choice here we just offer you our two greens right we just uh go and offer you the the ones that we consider to be good matchups uh, as we will turn out soon, and some of them will not were not actually good matchups. But <laughs> I for now we are so sorry. Uh, oh, that's true. We yeah, you left over angels. That's correct. Interesting. Why did I do that? <laughs> we didn't know either. Mm. And then I believe we offered CSM as our other one into that card. Mm, yes. CSM and GSC for sure. Uh, and we offer Dark Angels. I think mainly because we don't want them to uh, into GSC or Eldari. Like this increases our options for... It makes uh, sense in a way mm -hmm. that if you knew they would attack with Elves, any other pairing they would give being GSC or CSM or Guard, you would get Dark Angels. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, the thing about our Elves uh, is Duda, I think, is very much comfortable playing the Mirror by this time. Uh, his list is very much designed, especially uh, this little guy called... Uh, I actually Fugan. forgot. Yeah. Uh, the Fugan is actually a, little, uh, a nice little piece. I think he was actually very much prepared to play the mirror. I also um, told both him and Myson, who are our elves and GSC players, that I'm going to get them in as many uh, mirror matches as uh, humanly possible uh, throughout this tournament. So that uh, they better be prepared for that. Um, which happened, uh, which turned out nicely for us. But still, uh, in terms of picking what to choose for the guard matchup, uh, as we've said and as I've discussed, I'm picking GSC. Uh, this, your GSC is right now um, a different problem for us. I much rather get it here for the guard uh, to deal with. Uh, this actually feels like the best matchup that the GSC can fall into. Uh, which also is. Uh, What's, what's worth mentioning, I believe that um, Leshu said to me during our uh, pairings process that he's kind of like this. Um, I think the comments are actually not here, but we what we do is usually when I uh, think our, our uh, matrix is every player leaves some notes like to, to comment on like specific tables that A they want to get. Notes. Exactly. A lot of notes. Uh, 
lets you into CSM basically suggests that this should be still good. Like this is a draw, but probably better than your usual draw, right? So I treat it a little bit like a small win mm -hmm. in that sense. This way, uh, like our Dyke Angels, so to speak, escape from bad matchups like Eldari, Tyranids, and GSC. Uh, our guard takes GSC, which uh, he's prepared for. Uh, and the Eldari go uh, fuck themselves in the mirror. So overall, um, bad. Actually bad. Uh, I think we didn't... Uh, I think the problem that's turned out like throughout the pairings just came up uh, right away in that we should have con considered Orc Defender to be more of an option for you guys. And because we didn't, and we had to uh, try to improvise a solution for that problem on the spot, mm, we didn't have enough time to consider what was the optimal solutions, like um, not just on the spot, but throughout what's going to happen in the next steps of uh, doing the pairings. Like it doesn't uh, look horrible just from the estimations, but it's definitely the worst that we've done. Like we've, after every other uh, pairings process, we are very confident in uh, our estimations and what um, came out of them. This one felt like we are on the losing side of a draw, something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, you just have to look at it. That's Polish, Polish estimations and USA estimation. And you see that when we were mentioning this, Poland is losing by one, and USA was like winning by two and having a flip, according to your estimation. So it looked like a positive for USA and a slight negative for Poland, after all. Mm -hmm. Overall. Uh, so now that you both gave your point of views, maybe. Now that Pumba explained everything, you want to follow on something, John, about the Poland, maybe anything about the estimations, anything that caught your eye? Um, not really. The main thing that I was kind of listening to here, honestly, was your talk about keeping pins. We did like to keep a few pins intact, but we didn't try to pin everything. Really, if I'm being honest, the only army that we ever like put full priority into we're going to pin this was GSE. Uh, was GSC was the main opponent that because you know going into WTC there is a community and meta perception even though it has changed a little bit over the last couple of weeks that GSC and Eldar were the top two and then of course the uh, you know not every country brings every top army we figured everyone would have GSC and Eldar and so you know a large part of our process that I hadn't touched on yet was that we were considering ourselves an anti Gene Thurkult team. And it kind of came to my mind when you all were talking about um, how you were relatively well set up for custodies, which was certainly something that I felt the first time I uh, I opened your lists on BCP. I I felt targeted. Um, but I just kind of wanted to mention that we were we definitely felt that we were set up for Genestar Cult, and so um, that was something that we were trying to keep relatively intact during our process. The one thing that we kind of threw as the wrench was our Orc Defender because that is part of our Genestar Cult pin. But we kept several armies in the Gene Slurkult pin so that we could lose any one of them and still be intact. Yeah, but I was also watching your pairings against Sweden. And mm -hmm. even though you didn't defend with Orcs, there was a pattern that your first defender could play GSC 
your second defender was usually Death Watch or something that won against GSC, and then you third defended with Nitz, which was bad for GSC. So GSC needed to defend, but then they would get pinned. So they needed to attack something, so they couldn't attack any of your defenders, so it'd be left to the remaining two pairings. Uh, I mean, their last remaining pairings, usually, unless they tried like, attacking GSC into one of your matchups. So suddenly they would have only like one good escape, and unless they knew that you were going to do it, mm-hmm. and escape like, the very first time they could, they were bound to lose. Exactly. And the other thing that we were looking at was that the only time that you could really safely defend with Change the Cult against us was in the scrum, but no one knows that until after we've all flipped our cards. And yeah. uh, that's a, a little extra step. Yeah, the, the safest thing to do with Change the Cult is defend in the scrum with them, but that's so against what Change the Cult are supposed to be for the team that we didn't think anyone would. And also you needed to know, like, Nate's counter GSC, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, we thought, we assumed everyone knew that. We thought that was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Anything on your end, Pumba? Anything that caught your eye? Mm, in terms of estimations, I I think that the, the table against Necrons just feels wrong to me. Uh, especially, like, um, I never imagined, like, I get that some armies can definitely win against Necrons, but I think it's very hard to actually score, outscore them to an extent that you are scoring big. Um, yep. As we have designed this list to be very uh, like defender-heavy, uh, pick your board, board, play with anything list kind of list. Uh, I think that that this 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 side of the table is. Uh, doesn't reflect reality. Let's let's yeah. go. It's just that's, wrong. In my opinion. We didn't take Necrons because we um were having a lot of trouble having Necrons putting up results in our practice games, where a lot of our team was repeatedly beating Necrons. Um, now, obviously, we can look at the actual results of this round, which I'm sure we'll be discussing soon, and see that perhaps our uh, some of our matrix numbers were a little bit aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we, we had done a lot of practice into Necrons, and we're just continuously not super happy with them. Mm-hmm. I think um, it was yeah, the same I mean, thing in Poland with CSM, right? Exactly. Like, we didn't take CSM because in our practice, uh, they didn't really feel great. Like, we were very much consistently beating them. Uh, we didn't feel that the, the army delivered so much. And this is uh, kind of a thing that's worth, I think, mentioning that even though you've got uh, insane amount of hours put into like estimating what the meta is going to be, what armies are actually good, uh, as many like you actually play games with them, and still you might find out that some people uh, or some other team finds something that you didn't, and it happens constantly. Uh, especially when the like the meta is new and the edition is new, you will not find everything. Like um, I think the biggest example of that for us was your orcs list. Actually, I think that list uh, just is amazing. Uh, it's so simple yet so like incredible at what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So um, like we when when doing our um, preparations and considering which armies should we bring, we just never found this idea 
-hmm. So we all the testing against orgs we did was basically and uh, against the list or like using the list that were similar to what other countries brought, right? And we had basically no problem uh, beating them. And because that list actually differs so much from that um, norm, let's call it, uh, we were not expecting it to, to uh, perform as well as it did. Um, other than that, I think I've already mentioned that to Anthony uh, when he showed me that table. Uh, the table. As you discussed previously, uh, that if you see any like uh, opponents' armies just having straight up draws from top to bottom, you can probably expect that nobody knows what uh, what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and this is the case against the Dark Angels. Yeah, I I knew what it was doing. Um, I I played a lot of Dark Angels in the lead up. Um, but then I stopped playing them when I got assigned to Custodes um, at the 11th hour, because I was not initially going to be a Custodes player. Um, but I, I never played that style of, um, of Dark Angels. I had tried out the, um, uh, we call it the harm assist and the aggressors. I tried that out in an Ultramarine list. I had never thought to put the Land Raider Redeemer down, because it, frankly it didn't click to me that it helped 14 models. And that a normal land raider right. helped help. And I was, you know, so in this second I see it, I'm like, does it actually? And then, you know, part of my brain was like, well, in fifth edition, it held more guys. And I was like, eh, yep, sure enough, it works. Uh, but that's something we completely missed until it went live. Yeah. So I think this this WTC basically proved that nobody's going to ever have the full solution to the problem. Just just other answers to it. Yeah. Um, what we, of course, like completely missed, and which was our the, uh, the biggest blunders in our estimations, was the Tyranids, uh, the, the Tyranids counter GSC. Like we had completely just this this as a blind spot, and we had no clue uh, that this is going to happen. Right? We had that as a positive matchup in our estimations, and because we followed it uh, to the conclusion, right? You sometimes make decision based of that particular matchup being good, right? You sacrifice some other things, you make other decisions. Suddenly, if that flips on your head, as it did uh, in this case, uh, you are in trouble, right? So because basically our only uh, definite positive matchup uh, turned out to be wrong, uh, right? And, and, and two of our positive matchups ended up being uh, quite inaccurate as well. Right. Yeah, I think there there are so, four games marked as positive matchups between the two teams, and one of those came remotely close to the matrix. Those Pumbas. <laughs> so, so, like considering your estimations, our estimations, and then the results, you can see that uh, nobody knows anything, and Warhammer is made up. Yeah, um, none of us are I actually. Think a conclusion. I think we we all knew that orcs are good against Thousand Suns which actually is completely wrong as well, because uh, just the next round, <laughs> Vic has proven that we all know shit. So <laughs> that is actually also wrong, which is uh, I'm bad at the cannot play Thousand Suns, and uh, nobody besides Vic, apparently, or Arne can play Thousand Suns. Um, so that's also wrong, even though it's... Not mentioning right Liam VSL, that's... <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. Oh, okay, good. Apparently none of us we can just, play We that. just uh, to ignore it, right? So our estimations, I think, overall were closer, but still wrong as fuck. So nobody knows anything about Warhammer. Yep. Yeah, I think nothing was correct except the Custody's Mirror. Let's go. 
<laughs> and the one thing that struck me when I look at the estimation was that the Eldari mirror do the estimate as a draw, which I find very surprising. I think like I that think one is just <laughs> yeah. I I cannot comment on it. Like genuinely, I need to. I, I have enough trust in his ability to estimate that pairing against an army that he knows himself so well that even though in like in the depths of my heart I would say yeah that's a mirror like that's a flip that's a fucking uh, 20-0 roll sometimes however I think that he also um, like I've, I've watched him play so many times with like the old, uh, old Eldar and like uh, Chaos Knights at the last WTC I think People underestimate how defensive you can be in central matchups. Uh, sometimes when you see those mirrors and you think of them as being completely roll a roll off, sometimes with a certain mindset in mind and some tech pieces, I think you can play them defensively enough that it can actually turn to a draw. So I think that was the the idea here. Uh, in terms of how this game ended up being a seventy-three, I have no clue. <laughs> Yeah. Some elf magic, fate dies, uh, devastating ones. I don't fucking know we won. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to ask about that game until after the event, and then as soon as the event was over, I realized, oh, I actually don't care about elder mirrors. So yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Let like them play the it. I saw the number we planned for Sunday with that number in mind, and then after Sunday, I was like, I, I never want to hear about Eldar again. I don't, I don't care what you did. I don't care what he did. I'm not going to play against Eldar for another two months. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't played against Eldar since WTC. I'm going to keep that streak going as long as I can. So playing hopefully, teams only. Hopefully not soon. <laughs> hopefully soon it will be okay, right? Yeah. Thursday, according to Warhammer Community. Right? Hopefully. Surely, surely. Surely it's going to be okay. Uh, I would like to believe that. Um yeah, emergency right. patches. So what we learned previous... today is nobody knows anything in Warhammer, and uh, estimations are made up. Just use a D8. We tried that, by the way. I think, to be fair, this was very specific year for it. I think next year, when we'll have way more time to get familiar with the addition with the armies, even if we get another curveball of balance patch two weeks before the this submission like it happened in 2022 i still imagine that the next year people will be more on point with the estimations this year was very special with not having yeah. enough time to test more armies and also with the fact that you only had what two weeks since the submission to the event to play the opponent armies which i think will not be a thing next year where there will be a month earlier maybe you'll not have pods Maybe pods will be submitted as this year, like two weeks before, not way earlier. But it will still give you time to figure out armies, which wasn't a thing this year. And there were plenty of upsets and stories about armies overperforming because people just didn't have time to realize what they were doing. And when they realized, they found out. Yeah, I think every, every single team had at least one army that they wish they'd had more time on. Um, for us, at least in the U.S., uh, also the 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 armies being released closer to the event is actually uh, we think that it's a big disadvantage to us 
because yep. to offset the the time changes and a disadvantage we think to most of the countries that live far away non-europeans um, exactly because the weekend before wtc for us is a travel weekend it's not a warhammer weekend so i um as a matter of fact uh in between the lists releasing and me getting on a plane i did not have time to play a single game of warhammer against a wtc list so yeah i just unfortunately due to the timing of that and then once i was there <laughs> uh, i was on vacation with my partner so I was not on vacation to play Warhammer until uh, Thursday. Yeah. Uh, I think what also is shown here, like in this whole process, is the fact that throwing uh, something orthodox in your team composition is very valuable. Uh, like it, it matters here, of course, in the WTC context, in the new edition context. And you might consider everything to be uh, kind of off of meta until the meta is developed. But I think even if you have um, kind of a more stable meta, even then I think uh, having something unorthodox that is designed to counter a certain list, especially in team environment, something that people are not used to, uh, can make a huge difference. Like catching those um, swing matchups, right? Because um, from our perspective, the US uh, had the only Teamcom that we were, I think, like almost only Teamcom that we were wrong about in our estimations. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the because of the the combination of uh, the Orcs, the Tyranids, and the GK. All of those armies we needed basically to scout for and kind of make an idea how they are supposed to work uh, at the event or like or in front of, uh, before the event. And you cannot do that with every single army on this uh, event, with every single top uh, team that is coming, right? So throwing something like that um, clearly benefits you because, well, we when while we realize that uh, GK is good into um, custodies, for example, and turns are good, in, good into custodies, we just miss the fact that turns counter GSC, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think so having something unorthodox, something that just is supposed to be different from the meta that's going currently uh like reigning is very good in teams uh and this I was actually there were the plenty yeah i was saying that i think there were plenty teams that missed like one army or undervalued one army because they had a player that was trying that army that probably tried wrong version of that army and you dropped that army early from consideration like in poland you guys dropped nits quite early like maybe not very. We especially early, like dropped orcs by the way. I think that was the yeah, biggest. Or... One. Like, we, we just, that and... was basically like a, a week into into uh, the edition that we considered like orcs are not getting into the team. And John, you said that you guys dropped the necrons quite early as well, right? Yeah, we tested yeah. necrons a lot. We just um we found that with the players who we considered automatic for their armies, and then the players who were still deciding, um, we did not like necrons at all um <laughs> whenever we tried to put them on the table we were un unimpressed we it, admittedly we didn't think that we had a natural born great necron pilot we didn't have a long time necron player as our necron player but we had a couple people try them a couple people be unimpressed and at the end of the day we decided crons were not worth trying to force the issue on if we didn't like it we didn't like it let's not put someone in 
who's going to not feel confident. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of like unorthodox choices, I think one of the uh, reasons, the main reasons when we were deciding between the Dark Angels and the Death Watch was literally, uh, I mean, everybody's going to have Death Watch. So let's not bring that. Like, even though it might answer something, I think just having, if they theoretically, if they have uh, very similar um, estimations across the board, just picking something different is the value of itself. Yeah. And I think that showed. Yeah, that's completely fair. Completely fair. Anything else you want to touch upon? Anything else you guys want to add? Maybe you have some um, questions yeah. that weren't answered at that after party. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were a lot of uh, questions left back then, but uh, no, I think I think I think I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm set. Okay. So then, thank you very much for joining me in this dissection of the pairings. I find it always interesting when you get two teams that. After the round, they both realized that they were very much wrong. I just love that it happens nearly every round, nearly every time, even when you have very mature addition like previous years, uh, WTC. So it's always interesting to see the different point of view. But thank you very much for showing all of this. I don't think we care at all about people knowing the thought processes because it all comes down to the information game. I'd say that 40k is a game of information when it comes to teams. And this was a clear example of no one having this correct information, yeah. but everyone had some. Whether yeah. it was good, uh, that's questionable. But thank you very much. And for those that were listening on Spotify, if you want to, or any other podcast platforms. If you want to see the estimations and the whole process, you can jump on YouTube and see everything step by step, or you can just pause and read all of it to get whatever insights you want. So thank you, John and Pumba, for joining me, and see you in the next one. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.